This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Next week, scientists from a dozen U.S. and Canadian universities will converge on the ice-covered Great Lakes, riding snowmobiles, airboats, and even Coast Guard icebreakers. It's all part of an unprecedented study, dubbed the Winter Grab. They hope to discover how winter conditions in the Great Lakes affect things like algae blooms and fishery productivity year-round. And there's a lot at stake as human-caused climate change warms the Midwest. Winter ice coverage on Lake Michigan is diminishing by 5% every decade. Scientists want to know what that means for the world's largest freshwater ecosystem. Joining us to break it all down is Hunter Carrick, a biology professor at Central Michigan University who's on the Winter Grab team. Hi, Hunter. Welcome to Reset. Good, Good afternoon. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for being with us. Also here is Steve Ruberg, a scientist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Sasha. Welcome. Happy to be here. I'll I'll start with you, Steve. Your organization has studied winter ice coverage on the Great Lakes for over 30 years uh, using satellites. Is that right? That's correct. So what do we know about the ice already? Well, we know that uh, the ice season is, uh, is is shrinking. For instance, we're getting ice later in the year, and then it melts uh, earlier in the season, which is having an impact on on really all of the lakes where they're they're staying warmer longer, and then uh, they warm up sooner in the springtime. So, what trends has NOAA seen in, in ice coverage over time? Well, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get. For instance, ice every year in some places of the Great Lakes. But what's happening is is that ice coverage overall, the percentage is decreasing. But then that that the time that the ice is covering the lake is actually shrinking, which can have an impact on uh, the reproduction of uh, certain fish species. Mm-hmm. And here comes a collaboration like the uh, Winter Grab Hunter. This is a multi-university and multinational collab. How did it first come about? Well, it came about through a workshop that was funded by NOAA uh, that brought together scientists from all corners of the Great Lakes. Um, and uh, we were together for two or three days in Ann Arbor. And we ended up writing a paper out of that. And it's continued on. And what's the scale of the effort? Well, samples uh, during this winter grab will come from uh, Ontario, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Ohio, so throughout the whole Great Lakes region. So will scientists be working on all the lakes? Well, we're going to break down the workload uh, and send samples to uh, labs that are experts in doing certain types of analyses from all of the lakes. So, uh, for instance, I'll be uh, measuring primary production of the phytoplankton uh, from uh, a variety of these samples that are collected uh, throughout the basin. Tell us more about that. What are you looking for exactly? Well, getting uh, uh, piggybacking on what Steve was saying, you know, uh, as the lakes are becoming ice-free or at least have thinner ice, uh, they may uh, we may be seeing primary production rates uh, by phytoplankton and blooms uh, within the water that are more proli- prolific than they were previously. Okay. Well, Steve, as you, you think about this winter grab effort that uh, Hunter's telling us about, how would you say it's different from what's been done by NOAA in the past? 
Well, there's always been some uh, small amount of uh, uh, observations that are, be- that are being done in the Great Lakes. This really expands it and is really putting an emphasis on the need to get out there and get that ground truth data uh, either in the sediments in the bottom of the lake or in the water column to to back up things that we're able to do with satellite observations. You can't just do everything uh, from the satellite perspective. You need those hands-on observations to uh, uh, to to do the ground truth thing for these larger systems. Hunter, you briefly mentioned that uh, you were a co-author on a paper in the Journal of Geophysical Research last year, and uh, you identified a, a winter blind spot in research. You know that most studies focus on the Great Lakes in the warmer months. Talk to us about why it's important to understand winter lake, lake conditions. Well, well it, it, it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, why don't you go first, Hunter, and then I'll. I'll okay. Follow. You know, uh, logistically, it's difficult to get out during these times, and I think. In some of our minds, we thought that the lakes were dormant during uh, this ice cover, cold, dark time. And we've since learned from fewer observations that that's not a good assumption. So we're getting out there and trying to uh, expand our sampling, as Steve said, uh, to include all the Great Lakes, or at least as, as many of them as we could, and to make observations that range from the chemistry of the water to the physics underneath the ice, uh, to the the conditions on the ice and uh, directly above the water, and also sensing sensing you know measuring the abundance of organisms that are under the ice at these times, both benthic on the bottom or floating in the water. Steve, why don't you go ahead and pick up where he left off, and also tell us why are winter conditions typically understudied? Well, the the reason they're understudied is that uh, really none of the university or NOAA research vessels are designed to be out in ice. Uh, You know, we are getting some help from the Coast Guard, uh, and those vessels, obviously, they're out there breaking ice for the commercial freighters that are going back and forth in the lower lakes right now. And and so, you know, they're going to be able to help us somewhat, but those boats aren't – those – vessels are not designed to actually do the scientific research. Now, they're helping us a lot, and we really appreciate it. But we need some sort of hybrid in between so that we can actually get out there during this uh, this critical time of year. And, and some of the reasons, too, that, that we're moving ahead with this and trying to get some of the ground truth is we're also looking at uh, some autonomous systems, autonomous vehicles, uh, cabled systems under the ice that can give us observations through the winter. Uh, and then some of those autonomous vehicles will be able to uh, give us some additional observations that can benefit, you know, uh, a range of activities like ice thickness for Coast Guard observations and then some of the scientific work too. But still, you can't replace the idea that you got to get out there sometimes and grab some samples mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and to complement what you're doing with the other sensors. Plus, riding snowmobiles just sounds like so much fun, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, not if, you, not if you're like the folks uh, uh, on Lake Erie who went for a ride on the ice, and that's what we're really trying not to do here, no. and that's why we're using some, some much safer platforms. Absolutely. Well, you know, by some estimates, Steve, the, the Great Lakes could see ice-free winters by the end of the century. What would that mean for us here in Chicago? Well, I mean, certainly for Chicago, if uh, for folks who want to uh, get out there and enjoy the ice, you're not going to get to do that. Uh, you know, it's it's going to mean that, uh, I mean, on the positive side, it would be easier for shipping 
to get in and out of Chicago. You wouldn't need an icebreaker to, for instance, to uh, to break the ice in the Straits of Mackinac to get uh, commercial vessels in and out uh, and down to the sh- uh, to the uh, the seaway. Uh, but uh, but yeah, for folks all around the Great Lakes, it would be uh, it would minimize their ability to get out on a snowmobile and go ice fishing. Uh, or just for other types of recreation. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about a new effort to better understand winter conditions in the Great Lakes. It's called the Winter Grab. And our guests are Hunter Carrick of Central Michigan University and Steve Ruberg of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Um, Hunter, let's pick up on something we were discussing earlier. You know, winter ice coverage, it's been described as a master variable that controls processes in in the Great Lakes in spring and summer. One example being algae blooms. Explain how that works. Well, from what we know so far, um, and and again, there's there's, uh, more benevolent blooms, if you will, or blooms that are really good food for uh, small animals and fish and those that are not so good. So uh, can you explain the difference? Yeah, I can. <laughs> from what we know, uh, and a lot of this was done on Lake Erie as a platform from when we, le- you know, we did limited sampling and we're trying to expand that now as we've described. But the diatoms um, are tend to be very good food for a variety of invertebrates and these feed, ultimately feed fish. We've found that these organisms are blooming in and under the ice um, even as early as February, which we didn't know before and that that has an influence on the productivity as it moves forward throughout the year. It's almost like setting a clock uh, that that uh, um, sets the food web in motion, if you will. Mm. Well, paint the picture for us, Hunter, of, of what the winter grab is going to look like on the ground. Are you going to be out on the ice drilling holes and collecting water samples? Well, I wish, but uh, this year, no. I'll be uh, one of the people waiting for samples to come back to the lab, and that's going to keep me plenty busy. But um, it's going to take on a variety of different formats uh, from uh, individuals that are going to be scaling, walking out to sites and drilling holes with augers to uh, uh, people that are going to be sampling um, via airboat. That's uh, Steve's group. Uh, so there'll be a range of people and a range of conditions under which these these samples are going to be collected. How do scientists plan to stay safe out there on the ice? Well, one thing is to uh, think ahead, look at reports. Uh, as Steve mentioned, we're going to be working with professionals that are going to be taking us out mm-hmm. uh, via airboats, uh, snowmobile, or even by foot. So. A lot of it is um, ice conditions that we can learn about from some of the commercial uh, groups that are are working on the ice and that are are taking people out to either ice fish or, uh, in our case, to sample. And Steve, sum up for us the implications that the results here could have for managing the Great Lakes ecosystem. Well, and let me add too that some of the safe, one of the safety measures is wearing a proper uh, survival suit. You know, if you do go through the ice. But where this is going to head, uh, as Hunter said, you know, we're going to understand how that food web is working. Uh, we'll we'll hopefully understand uh, the role of ice in some of the re- uh, fisher as we move down the road and do this year in and year out. How uh, some of the 
species were trying to get restored under the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, mm-hmm. which is actually run there right in right in Chicago by the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, what we want to do is, is know enough about this to know if that's going to impact those really important fisher, fisheries, such as whitefish, who, that spawn under the ice. Mm. Well, before I let you go, Steve, if the funding continues, do you see this research becoming an annual project? Yes. That that would be uh, a, a good bet because it's just uh, the time has come and we really need to get a handle on this. The changes are so great, uh, and uh, you know now that we have a uh, a way to begin thinking about how to restore some of these uh, very important species, uh, this is this is the direction we need to go. That's Steve Ruberg from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory and Hunter Carrick, a biology professor at Central Michigan University. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.